Hi all, welcome to another episode in the Leading Safely podcast. Today I am bringing you another fantastic special guest episode, and this time my special guest hails all the way from Texas in the United States. Like me, this special guest is a thought provoker and a critical thinker, and if you're on LinkedIn in any of the safety circles, you may have seen his comments on posts. Today, I am chatting with my friend, Brad Green. Brad has 17 years of experience working in various industries and organisations. He is a HSSE PSM professional, health and safety adjunct professor, father, husband, softball coach, thought provoker, and an advocate for all employees' mental and physical well-being. Brad currently works for a major oil and gas corporation, where he is a health, safety, security and environment manager. So here is my chat with my friend, Brad Green. All right. So hi, Brad. Uh, Thanks for joining me on the Leading Safely podcast. Uh, It's great to have you join us all the way from Texas in the States. Well, thank you. Uh, First, I would like to thank you for allowing me this opportunity to have a discussion with you, Uh, Georgina. Thanks. So thank you and, and looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. So as you know, I speak to all my guests and I ask three direct health and safety questions. Uh, And the first one is around a health and safety leader. So what do you think, Brad, makes an effective leader when it comes to health and safety? There are several attributes. And while I cannot uh, list every attribute a leader must possess, I will try to list various attributes and principles that I believe that leaders should adopt and embrace to be more effective uh, in the realm of health and safety and in general leadership. You know, I, I believe that leaders must treat people like humans instead of num- numbers, objects, machines, or things that need to be controlled. People are human and will always be. I believe leaders shall react with curiosity instead of judgment when something does not go as planned or when there is an unintentional deviation from an expected outcome. If an organization endeavors To grow into a learning organization, it is foundational to spark curiosity. So I I encourage organizations to replace judgment with curiosity. We need to promote and foster a working environment where people feel safe to be their whole selves. Too frequently, I think employees are disciplined for making mistakes, challenging the status quo, or offering simple feedback. A leader must acknowledge human fallibility and not expect perfection from fallible human beings. Perfectionist goals do not motivate people, rather sets them up for failure and the organization likewise. In fact, uh, perfection is the enemy of good. If we constantly strive for perfection, we will now never allow ourselves to, to learn and to grow. And I think it, it's important that we understand that when we do make mistakes, it's an opportunity for us to look back in retrospect and say, how can we learn from, from this, this mistake? A leader also accepts that there is no such thing as absolute safety and that organizationally all risk cannot be eliminated. Instead, leaders assist in managing risk to an acceptable, acceptable levels within the organization. And lastly, uh, leaders must understand that it takes everyone to succeed and that every role is critical regardless of the job title. That's really great. I feel like I just listened to the Ten Commandments of Brad. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I did have 10 and I left out a few. So, uh, sure, that's really great. I, I did leave sure. out a few, but, uh, but, but yeah. Uh. Sure. Thank you for that. It's almost like principles to live by. Be curious. <laughs> Treat people like human beings <laughs> and not machines. Like, yeah, they're really, really great principles. And what about, we spoke about this earlier, people who are kind of stuck in their ways when it comes to health and safety and don't want to make a positive change. What are your, your tips or words of wisdom for people who are dealing with, you know, people who are stuck in their ways? Well, react with curiosity is what I say. Uh, don't be judgmental. We don't know what we don't know. That seems pretty logical, right? First, I would yep. be remiss if I did not acknowledge that it is easier said than done. Uh, changing people's opinion is very complex and changing mindsets is not that straightforward. First, I would provide empirical evidence on why their viewpoints do not set the worker or the organization up for success and provide them with more in-depth understanding of the nine aspects that I mentioned during my first question, really seven, but I skipped two. <laughs> uh, I would yep. emphasize that that words, practices, and strategies we employ have influence and a trajectory. They take us somewhere. If such language promotes blame, then I would suggest that we do not use such language. I would suggest that organizations converse more about risk at work without blame and seek out opportunities for learning and improving. And I would also suggest that organizations use words uh, that, again, do not project blame, do not uh, drive reporting underground, and do not set up the worker and the organization up for failure. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And we're certainly that blame culture is existent in many organizations today, despite you know what they say on the outside, on the inside, it's very different. Um, and final question, obviously, um, is around inventions. And I've had some very curious kind of answers to this question. So if you had as much money as you needed, as many resources as you needed and could invent something that would solve a workplace health and safety issue, what would you invent and why? This was a difficult one and, and I listened <laughs> to previous podcasts and, and I decided to uh, create two different devices. Uh, okay. One I, I call a dream. Uh, as we know, <laughs> There are numerous safeguards in many modern vehicles that warn drivers when they are drifting into another lane or when the driver is about to have an, a, a collision. Modern vehicles mm -hmm. warn drivers if traffic is coming while backing out of their driveway. Some safeguards can be installed on forklifts that monitor pedestrians and will break if a pedestrian comes too close to a forklift. The safeguards mentioned were implemented to reduce risk more specifically to reduce the probability of an adverse event. When I see such safeguards, I often think of myself, how many people had to get seriously injured or killed or maimed uh, in order for the creation of such safeguards? While these safeguards reduce risk, my device would allow the unforeseeable to become foreseeable. Ooh. If workers could foresee it allows the outcome, another action could be taken. With that being said, such device, uh, if if it was uh, in existence, would create a world that was very dual. Uh, <laughs> Why? Because there are no events. Because there's no events. There's no events. You can look into the future, but you're putting us out of a job, Brad. <laughs> yeah, but but we often think that things are more foreseeable 
after the fact, right? And sure. often uh, they are not. My second device is is more prop uh, is is around the urge that we all have, and that urge is blame. The urge to blame affects us all in somewhat. It is almost in- instinctive. Blame, which is emotionally satisfying, fixes nothing at all. We often blame others to maintain an illusion of control. Blame is often fueled by the desire to be correct. Blaming is destructive and pervasive. Blame silences communication, cuts off access to information, and really impedes our learning and stifles improvement opportunities. My second device would assist with managing the harmful byproducts of blaming. My device or program would be blame check. This would be akin to spell check on your computer. Using AI, yep. Using (laughs) AI, blame check would alert organizations when their messages, words, idioms, etc. are projecting blame onto the worker instead of addressing the systematic issues which will ultimately stifle improvement. Okay. That's it. Yes, that's the two. Uh, the, the second <laughs> one of which is, is something that I'm actually working with with an organization, not specifically, but I've talked about this before, but I do believe that it will one day become available. We talked a little bit earlier that we understand that, that blaming uh, directly is obvious, but indirect blaming is not so obvious. And while I don't think anyone will agree that they actually blame people directly per se, like mm-hmm. you, it's your your it's fault. Your fault. Yep. They say things like, "Well, you lacked the situational awareness," or "You were you lacked common sense," or "You were um, not in the moment," per se. Mm-hmm. And and to me, it's all it brings us to the same outcome. It projects blame. And and again, blame check will, will fix that one day. <laughs> I look forward to seeing uh, the progression and the logo perhaps for what that might look like. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's one awesome. day. Yeah, hopefully and one day. That's, that's awesome. I Yeah, I would really look forward and I would definitely be a subscriber to some sort of subscription <laughs> service, no doubt, for that service. Um, so the last question, well, last question, the last thing normally that happens is we speak about a topic that you're passionate about. And I know that we've talked about this on LinkedIn and in the past in regards to risk washing, which I'm not sure that many of the listeners may have heard of before. So did you want to explain what you mean and, and you know, share some yeah. insights around that? Yeah, so that was my seventh principle that leaders must must also possess is leaders to not condone or promote risk washing. And mm-hmm. risk washing is a term um, is a term that was coined by my dear friend and mentor Norman Ritchie. He is a director at uh, VPSI Group LLC. And as you probably have heard of greenwashing, it right now it is very hot topic in ESG with multiple companies being accused of it some of even being targeted by related lawsuits the Merriam-Webster dictionary uh, defines greenwashing as the act or practice of making a product 
policy activity, etc., appear to be more environmental friendly or less environmentally damaged than it really is. Norman coined this term risk washing to describe analogous behaviors in the health and safety world as the act or practice of making a product policy activity appear to be more impactful in reducing workplace risks than it actually is. A situation where an organization engages in superficial or insincere actions to create the appearance of addressing a particular risk or issue without taking substantial action to address the underlying problem. There's a few common risk washing activities and statements that create an illusion of safety, which include signage of safety pledges, the beliefs <laughs> that all incidents are preventable, lids on coffee cups, safety <laughs> slogans in general, phrases like safety is my is the number one priority or value or adherence to safety as a condition of employment, celebrating injury-free milestones, TRIR being used to measure their impact, the impact of safety initiatives, leadership commitment to safety without actual involvement or commitment. action, <laughs> BBS observation card quotas. Mm -hmm. As Greg Smith wrote in his latest book, Paper Safe, an illusion of safety refers to an unfounded and unsubstantial belief that policies, procedures, and processes, and other documentation coupled with the lots of activity in the name of health and safety means that safety risks are being effectively managed. History would suggest this is not the case. There is really no excuse for risk washing when, even when an effective action is not identified or is impracticable. Unfortunately, such activities deeply rooted in the health and safety profession. They are often touted out with regularity across all sorts of organizations, despite their negative impact on the credibility of the health and safety function. Given that, many practitioners firmly believe in their values and have done so throughout their careers, it will be a significant challenge to change their mindsets and dislodge them. Okay. Uh, what are you going to do about it? Talk about it as much as I can. Provoke thoughts, <laughs> which is Goodbye. what I often do. Yes, and most definitely. Talk a lot about the negative byproducts of such a language. I guess we yep. talked about it earlier. Is the words and practices and strategies we employ have a trajectory? Yeah. They take us somewhere, and oftentimes uh, they they don't mean a whole lot. And our employees are not not stupid. They can see yep. through that. Yeah. And and such there are many slogans out there that are really contradictory to risk and in my opinion impede our ability to move forward. Yeah, it's so ingrained though, isn't it? Like I know I'm sure you've worked for multiple organizations. You know, I've worked for multiple organizations where Sometimes, yeah, what you say and what you do are two very different things. But even the professionals that are being taught at universities in the certificate courses, that lingo is ingrained from them, you know, like from that very, very beginning. So it's really hard when you join an organization and they're also fostering that environment to kind of stand back and try and create a change that needs to happen. Exactly. The one thing is, is that I think 
that people speak such language without even knowing actually what it means. I agree. Yeah. We've we <laughs> I continue to see people use Heinrich's pyramid, even though it's been debunked <laughs> millions yep. of times. Yep. Using the incident uh, triangle, uh, yep. all of sorts of ideologies that have been really debunked throughout the years and it's simply because of the fact that it's been around for so long and it has been the staple of of lots of improvement i think uh, but we've gotten to a point in our journey that we need to change and and for me it's focusing on the people the people that, that that's at what i call the sharp end of the organization people that are at the greatest risk with the least amount of influence within the organization. So for me, it's it's really about getting down on the shop floor, asking those employees what kind of you know what kind of tools they need to actually get their job done. Yep. And I think that's a a great, you know, like kind of final closing statement for anyone that's, you know, in that space as well. Anyone working in health and safety needs to understand that that how you make things work that's how you do safety of work and not just safety activities that you know tick, tick boxes and and make sure everything's okay exactly think, exactly yeah i think we've got some really great insights brad from our conversation this morning i think there's some definitely uh some disciplinary kind of uh comments and things that were mentioned that will will make a difference and i hope that those that just joined the industry or those that have been in it for quite some time will be able to identify some insights they can take back into their workplace and implement immediately from what we've just discussed. If nothing else, think about that blame check device (laughs) and and, think about how perhaps people could assess the lingo and the terminology that's currently being used in their everyday documentation in incident investigations, in procedures and perhaps reframe and change that mindset. So, I really appreciate you taking time out of your morning, evening, whatever it is (laughs) over there um, to share your time with me. And I know I have um, gained a lot from this conversation. So thanks heaps, Brad. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. And I hope you have a great day. Awesome. Thank you. So that was my chat with Brad Green. What are your thoughts on risk washing? That part of our chat brought me back to a resources organisation that I worked for, where truck operators would get injured at work. However, because we were bidding to win multiple tenders with very big and very safety critical organisations, those same truck operators who had serious lost time injuries were being brought into depots to literally colour in maps. This same organisation also blatantly breached numerous capacity certificates from doctors, yet there was never any consequences for those managers who encouraged it, nor for the organisation itself. And what about Brad's invention of a blame checker? I definitely think there are a few organisations that I have worked for that profess not to blame the worker, but then fit the mould that Brad spoke about, where the wording in the investigation says complacency or lack of situational awareness. In all seriousness, no, though, if you do work for an organisation and can clearly tell that your incident investigations are just scratching the surface or are perhaps consistently ending in a cause of operator error with disciplinary action as an action or retraining as an action or even just a toolbox talk 
as an action, then please do reach out to me for some guidance. There are some great ways to get things moving along in the right direction without causing half your executive team to start balking at the change. So if you're interested in perhaps learning more, please do reach out to me. Now, before I close this episode this week, brings my new initiative to life for the second time. HSEC, which is the Health, Safety and Environment Collective, is having our first convention for 2023 on Friday this week, the 17th of March from 5pm till 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This event is both live in person and also virtual for those of you anywhere in the world who would like to join in. We have an amazing lineup of speakers on some really juicy topics and a great session planned on the issues with current incident investigations. To get your ticket or just to find out what all this fuss is about, head to hsec.au. That's hsec.au. I look forward to meeting those of you who can join me on Friday. Until next time, stay safe.